Who's caddy? It's my grandfather's. 16 years old, man. It only has 20,000 miles on it. Wow. What's it doing here? Well, my granddad's afraid to take it on long trips, so I borrowed my dad's car for a week. Do you know this boat would kick ass up in Archie's? Waves! Does mommy hold your s when you piss? Sorry, Mom, I didn't introduce you. Those are my friends. Uh. Last name first, first name last. Anderson. Les Anderson. Buckle up, son. It's the real world out here. Uh, Anderson, I want you to take a long, hard look at this cup of coffee. Now, I love my coffee. It's probably the one thing I truly do cherish on this godforsaken mud ball called Earth. Now, what I'm trying to say is that most examiners use a clipboard. I don't believe in them. What I do believe in is my cup of coffee. Now, that coffee's hot, filled right to the brick. If it's spilled on me, probably burn me, huh? Speak up, son. Yeah, yeah. Nobody likes to get burned, do they? So it's real simple. You burn me, you fail. Don't you pass. Welcome to Sweep Delay Podcast. This is your host with the most, Mike Macmasunas. How's everybody doing today? I am very tired today, guys, but I'm very excited to be back to a new episode of STL. That's right. Today's episode is License to Drive. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in and maybe are a little bit confused, maybe you're expecting Indiana Jones, well, here's the deal. There was a vote that went out, which was License to Drive versus Brewster's Millions. Now, if you listened to Underground Hour, the last episode I posted, you would have gotten all this information. But if you didn't, let me just give you the quick recap. So we threw the vote out, which evidently Facebook has now changed it to where you have to do a poll now. You can't do a question. You know how before I would do a question and you would answer it and, you know, then we would have the vote. Now that only works in groups, evidently. So, there was originally a vote up for License to Drive versus Brewster's Millions, and License to Drive definitely won. And also in the STL Nation group, uh, where I can post the question, it won in there as well. So essentially, here's kind of how things are going to go for a little bit, kind of give you a, a quick recap of things before we get rolling into the episode. Essentially, as you know, um, I'm solo today, and I'll tell you, it's kind of weird. It's been a while since I've been solo, but I mean, as you guys know, the heart and soul of STL is me being by myself and just talking, and having Jameson on has been fantastic. It's been awesome. It's been super fun. I think he's been on like, I don't know, it feels like eight or nine weeks almost. It's crazy. I think I did one bonus episode without him, but... Uh, it's going to be me for a while going forward just because the last episode we recorded, which was Changing Channels Podcast and Legend of Billie Jean, was the last night of the night that we record together to where now uh, his wife is going to be working on that night 
So therefore, he has to watch the kids, and you know, it watching kids and recording become a fiasco. I've been doing it for two years. I finally got into a groove, you know, with my daughters and stuff. So it's not so bad. Plus, I can always edit out stuff that happens uh, that you just don't hear. But essentially, um, for the next couple weeks, here's how it's going to go. We got license to drive for this episode. And as you know, October is the huge month for STL. That's my favorite month of the year. I love the Halloween Fest. And if you are in the STL Nation group, this is where you get all the exclusive information and where you get to put your vote, if you will. Uh, The Blade Trilogy is what's going to lead us into Halloween or into October, I should say. So after License to Drive, next week will be Blade 1 and then the following week, Blade, uh, Blade 2 and then so on and so forth. And then... Uh, I'm going to try to do five movies this year in October. The first one is Silver Bullet. It's a movie I've been wanting to do for a long time and just haven't got around to it. Number two will be Child's Play. Number three will be Scream. And then we'll have two more. Chances are those are going to be voted on uh, of movies that I haven't seen before. Now, the theme of this year is basically uh, movies that still scare slash freak me out still to this day. That's kind of the theme that we're rolling with in the month of October. Now, there's a few of you guys out there that have said, hey, this movie still freaks me out like Aliens or Maximum Overdrive, so on and so forth. And some of those I haven't seen. So I'm, I'm looking forward to throwing a vote up to see what we pick for the remaining two movies in October. We'll kind of play it by ear. And then, uh, you know, hopefully sometime me and James can work it out and we can do some Indiana Jones. But, you know, that's the cool thing with that series. Uh, You know, the classic movies Masoonis has never seen. It's one of those series that, as I told you, is just going to be a random thing that just will uh, periodically be done. So as of right now, the set schedule is this episode uh, starting next week will be the Blade Trilogy, which I'm going to have a lot of fun with. And then we roll into October with Silver Bullet, uh, Child's Play, Scream, and then uh, two more movies after that. And I can't wait. And it's going to be fun, fun time. So before we roll into the review of License to Drive, uh, let's do some quick uh, movie and TV news. That's right, folks. I said uh, movie and TV news because there's one certain thing I want to talk about in regards to television 
and there's a lot of people out there that are very interested to hear what I have to say. So I'm cutting out the music news for this episode and I'm going to replace it with TV news. But first, let's talk some quick movie news. So this just in, Beverly Hills Cop 4, Jerry Bruckheimer, as you know, uh, was the uh, legendary producer of the first two films in the franchise, but of course he... Uh, left the third movie it looks like he's trying to reprise his role as the producer of Beverly Hills Cop 4 now this is according to Variety magazine so I don't know it could be rumor at this point could be true could not be true I guess we'll have to see how it goes essentially Brokheimer he's been on board for earlier incarnations of Beverly Hills Cop 4 about three or four years ago but he lost interest in the idea much like the series fans did I guess so, but due to whatever reason, you know, maybe the TV show and, you know, just, I don't know, maybe the the overall outcry of people actually showing interest and wanting to watch this movie, he's decided, hey, you know, I want to come back and be a producer. So I guess we shall see how that turns about, I guess. Okay, now uh, this is some pretty cool news for me. Now, forgive me here because there's no way I'm going to be able to say this, so let's just put it this way. For those of you guys who saw episode 99's movie, which was Never Back Down, the trainer, the uh, Dajman Hansu, uh, he has been cast in Fast and Furious 7. That's right. You may possibly know this guy from Blood Diamond. He is putting on his seatbelt and he's rolling out the door and ready to jump into a car and go into Fast and Furious 7. So evidently this guy is the newest addition to the cast. Kurt Russell has been cast, as you know, which uh, I don't think I've talked about this, so let me just kind of briefly give my thoughts on this, how how down I am for this. As you know, Denzel Washington turned it down. Me and Jameson talked about it. It's all good in the hood. Uh, I'm very happy that Kurt Russell has been attached because it's more of his thing, but also, have you not seen Death Proof? Man, he was awesome in Death Proof. He was a pretty awesome bad guy. He was awesome behind the 69 Dodge Charger. So I have no doubts whatsoever that he can be a badass and know how to drive. I mean, come on, Big Trouble in Little China, soon to be coming to STL very, very soon, is uh, is pretty fun at times and definitely fits very well. So I'm excited, of course, he's going to be joining Jason Statham. Now, Kurt Russell and um, Dijman have not been announced what their characters will be, but hey, chances are they're probably going to be on the bad guy's side, which I am all cool with. I think it's going to be fun. They keep reporting Dwayne Johnson is going to be in this movie. Now, as you know, I am The Rock's number one right-hand man. I am his biggest fan on the face of the planet. However, I don't think this is happening. Uh, The thing is, he's still making Hercules, people, and they're starting to roll on this movie now. Granted... Could be a small part, could be just a cameo thing. If that's the case, sure, makes sense. But if he's supposed to have a big role like he's had in Fast 5 and Fast 6, which, let's be honest, if he doesn't, that'd be kind of weird. But as Jameson said, you know, his story's been told. But, I mean, the same writer has been writing this series since Part 3. The guy knows what he wants to do. And I'm sure he wants to throw Dwayne Johnson in there, especially knowing Jason Statham's coming in the mix. you got to have a Rock and Jason Statham fight. I mean, if you can't have Rock and Expendables, you got to get your fight in Fast and Furious 7. So I want him to be in it. I just don't think it's going to happen. So I'm being optimistic here. 
and keeping my fingers crossed. But if you see a report that says Dwayne Johnson will not be in Fast 7, don't drop your jaw and be like, oh my gosh, because I've been warning you guys about this for like six months now. So let's see how it plays out and we shall go from there. But I am super pumped for Fast 7. And uh, it's going to be good times, man. As you know, it's supposed to be a, a new set of trilogy, which is kind of old news. You know, of course, nothing's been officially confirmed. But even Vendiso said that, you know, it's supposed to be six, seven and eight are the new set of trilogies, if you will. So I guess we shall see how that rolls. And the last bits of movie news that I have for you. It's kind of crazy, but I'm sure you've probably heard this. But uh, there was official confirmation on Josh Brolin. He was actually supposed to be up for Batman in the Man of Steel 2 sequel. So we can call it at this point Batman vs. Superman, Superman vs. Batman, whatever you want to call it. Uh, The cool thing is about this story is that uh, he's actually sticking up for Ben Affleck. You know, he goes, yes, I was actually uh, in the leading role to get the part. It didn't work out. However, I don't think it's fair for the backlash that Ben Affleck has been receiving. And he feels really bad for him and thinks that he doesn't deserve that backlash, which is kind of cool. You know, I mean, he's definitely being a good sport. You know, let's say you were the main lead to get Batman. And then all of a sudden you find out, you wake up the next day, hey, somebody else got cast instead of you. I mean, you would be kind of pissed off or kind of feel cheated or maybe screwed over. But it's kind of cool that Josh Brolin went ahead, stuck up for Ben Affleck, And just saying, hey, give the guy a chance. I think he's going to do phenomenal. He's going to do great. And, you know, it's pretty cool. I mean, he's definitely a stand-up guy. But now I even have more respect for the guy because he went ahead and stuck up for the guy that ended up taking us apart. That's pretty cool. Now, that is it for movie news. As far as music news goes, we will go ahead and save that for the next episode. However, let's get into some TV news. You're too much TV. All right, so you guys are probably wondering what am I going to talk about in TV news. So this is for all my fellow Burn Notice fans. So here is the deal. Um, If you are a fan of Burn Notice, if you are watching Burn Notice, if you have not watched last night's finale, I'm going to give you a brief review, non-spoiler review, And then I'm going to give you a warning and say, okay, I'm going into spoilers. So then just like fast forward like two or three minutes because I don't want you to hear what I have to say. Okay. So overall TV news, last night's finale, Burn Notice. As you know, Burn Notice is, if not my favorite TV show on TV. I mean, obviously Supernatural is my favorite show, but Burn Notice is like in my top three favorite TV shows. Uh, I've been watching this show every single week for five years. And the finale came. Now, number one, let me just say this. I think it's great when a show knows ahead of time it's going to be canceled. Because when that happens, granted, they usually get a small order of uh, episodes. Like, for example, this one got 13. Normally, with Burn Notice, they were one of the first shows to do this. Where they would do a summer finale. And then you'd come back to the winter finale. So there was usually like a good number of episodes, like 21, I think. But because there was only 13... They decided to pretty much play every single one of them with like one hiatus for like two weeks. And the cool thing is because they knew that they were going to end, they went ahead and did something different. Now, if you're familiar with the show Burn Notice, this is about uh, Mike Weston, which is a burn spy. 
and essentially you have the main story arc, which is you're trying to find the guy that burned you, and then in every single episode, it's where Michael has to, Michael and the gang, they have like a side mission where they're helping somebody, you know, uh, you know, drugs, or, you know, they got to get somebody out of prison, or somebody was framed for murder, just... Your, your typical random thing. Now, this was the only season to take the main story arc, make it last for the whole season. You never had any mini episodes or mini missions, if you will. So that's what was pretty cool about this season. And uh, if you follow me on Facebook, if you're my friend, you would have seen a few weeks ago I made a post that Burn Notice is better than almost every single movie I've seen this year. It's intense, it's action-packed, it's emotional, it just it's keeps me on the edge of my seat. It's just so flipping good. So, needless to say, the episode was last night, the finale, and a lot of people were complaining, hey, you need a two-hour finale on, an, you know, on a series finale. Not for Burn Notice, man. They've been doing so much crap in an hour, made perfect sense where they were going plus the second to last episode was just such a cliffhanger you're like oh my gosh so here is my overall review of burn notice uh spoiler free i am still contemplating this but i think this is my favorite series finale i have ever seen on a show possibly now burn notice has rewarded me for five consecutive years of consistent excellent television and I've never had an episode I didn't like, and the finale was incredible. I was on the edge of my seat. Uh, I laughed. I cried. I cheered. Uh, the last 10 minutes blew my mind just when I thought it was going to go one way. It went to complete opposite, and there's no way you would guess the ending of how it's going to end. And it was excellent. I loved it. It was amazing. So I, I'm still debating. Um it's if it's not my ultimate favorite series finale of all time it's got to be number two or three but at this point i think it's number one because it was just that good so overall if you are watching burn notice catch up and i promise you this final season is the best it's the most action-packed it's the most emotional it's the most gut-wrenching mind-blowing season because they changed the game that you've been watching for five years in the the last five episodes they totally changed the game so it's crazy so for the next five minutes i'm going to do spoilers so if you don't want to hear this fast forward five minutes okay and then probably by then you'll hear the trailer to license to drive so here we go spoilers alert for burn notice here we go in one two three all right so if you're listening here we go spoilers what i thought of finale unbelievable one thing I was telling my wife, I was like, I want a Dark Knight Rises ending. I was like, the only way that Michael's going to be free is if he fakes his death. But I was like, okay, how are they going to pull this off? Because when they did the preview of last week, I put it in slow motion, I saw three graves. So I thought, great, Michael, Sam died because I'm like, okay, they're going to get a military wed- uh, funeral. It's got to be Michael dies and Sam dies. How are they going to do this? So... When Michael's mother gave up, gave, gives up her life, I was like, oh my gosh. You know, I was like, okay, so, so she's going to die. But the way she dies is amazing. She's got the cigarette in her hand. She's got the bomb in the other hand. And she goes, this is for my boys, pulls the trigger, and blows those guys the smithereens. 
amazing. It was so good. Man, me and my wife were like crying. We're like, oh man, this sucks. So then we get to Michael and Fee. I was like, okay, they haven't been together all season. All I want them to do is just to end together. And then Michael just, you know, says nothing more than I want to do is to live, you know, either more now than ever. And you just have like Michael and Fiona are back together and they fight. And, you know, I always thought that one season finale where Michael is taking on all those guys and Fiona jumps in and she's like, I'm not going to leave you alone. I was like, I always thought that would be an awesome series finale. But essentially what blew my mind is when you have him uh when she realizes that it's a dead man switch and the building blows up I'm like oh my gosh you just killed off michael and feet it was crazy but then something i read is that the the narration that michael does throughout the series is gotta it's him telling a story to somebody so michael can't die i was thinking about that i was like huh just kind of like iron man 3 he's telling the story to bruce Banner to bruce banner so I was like, okay, maybe Michael lives. And then when you hear the talk of Jesse and Sam, where they know that Michael's alive, I'm like, oh my gosh, Dark Knight Rises style. And then all of a sudden, boom, they show the building, but then they show Michael and Fee together. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they actually lived. And they show them jumping out and surviving. And then as soon as he had his nephew, I was like, oh, obviously he got the nephew from Jesse. And now they're, you know, they fake their death. And it's and the cool thing is they did a lot of callbacks when uh, she goes, should we shoot them? I was like, oh, that's from part one. And then when Sam's like, you know, spies, bunch of bitchy little girls. I was like, you know, episode one. I was like, it's so cool. There were such callbacks. And the, the creator of the show wrote the last episode and he directed it. So I knew it was going to go out with the bang. And the way that it ended was him telling, he's like, what should I tell him? And she goes, well, start from the beginning. I'm Michael Weston. You know, and that's when you, that's how the show starts off in the, in the credits. So this whole time, the narration that Michael's been doing in every single episode, he's telling, you know, his nephew uh, about his whole life, which is amazing, which gives you a clue that Michael doesn't die at the end. So I thought it was brilliant. I loved it. It was amazing. So I'm still on a high from it, and it was brilliant writing, brilliant episode. I loved it, and it ends with Michael and Fiona kissing and leaves open for a Sam and Jesse spinoff, and it's so cool. Uh, I love it. It's great. So I gave that episode 20 out of 10 stars. Amazing, 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 amazing. Good time. So that is my review of the final episode of Burn Notice. Now, that is it for uh, movie and TV news, so now let's get into the review of License to Drive. Meet the Andersons. Yes. They're all awaiting a big event. For your information, this is exactly what I ate when I was pregnant with all of you. But Les is excited about an even bigger event. Less than 48 hours away, the people at the Department of Motor Vehicles are going to be handing you your license. His reputation is riding on it. Do you think there's any chance we could get it Saturday night? Not a chance in hell, then. The date of a lifetime depends on it. Mercedes Lane. But it doesn't look good. You failed. He failed? Honey, what is wrong with you? Something. Is this the end for Les Anderson? I thought that we had a date tonight. An innocent girl. Harmless drive. What could possibly go wrong? 
See, license whoa, whoa, to drop. Whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. Uh, you got to show him the rest. Oh? Oh, okay. Les knew that he could regret it. I'm up, I'm up, I'm up. He knew he might be sorry. Aren't you drinking rather heavily? This Mercedes has a dead battery. Okay, okay, do your breathing. But he did it anyway. There's nothing to worry about. It's like a sign. A sign from the big Mr. Goodwrench in the sky. Will Les get the car home in one piece? Will his father leave Les in one piece? You are damn lucky your mother didn't go into labor time. No, Rabbi, I am in labor! What? License to drive. Does it have a happy ending? <laughs> An innocent girl. A harmless drive. What could possibly go wrong? Natalie! Natalie, I was wondering, if you're driving 55 miles per hour and you collide with a runaway train, would it make any improvements on your face? <laughs> Good luck on your exam tomorrow, Einstein. <laughs> Don't worry about the noise, man. My parents are vampires. And I'll tell you something. You have balls. You definitely have balls for snagging this car. What is this crap we're listening to? I mean, my parents don't even listen to this stuff. Les, you've had to stand and watch as all the pretty girls drove off in some older jerk's car. Humiliation. I know I've been through it, but that's all over now. Les, that thing in your wallet, that's no ordinary piece of paper. That is a driver's license. And it's not only a driver's license. It's an automobile license. And it's not only an automobile license. It is a license to live. A license to be free. To go, to go wherever, whenever, and with whomever you choose. Alright guys, License to Drive. Man, am I excited to be talking about this movie today. Uh, one of the biggest reasons is because this is my favorite Corey and Corey film. Yes, uh, I just talked to Lost Boys a few weeks ago. It was super fun. But License to Drive is definitely my favorite. This is the movie I would say that made me love the Corys and what made me such a big fan of the Corys. And oh man, such a good time. There is so much to talk about in this film. And I'm just, oh, let's get to it. It's going to be good times. Now, if for some crazy reason you don't remember this movie, uh, this is back in 1988 when this movie came out. And this movie stars uh, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. And then we also have Heather Graham, a young uh, Heather Graham. And the movie came out, uh, had a budget of $8 bucks, and it made $22 million. So here's essentially what happens in this film. So we have Corey Haim, who's our main, uh, you know, our main character, Les Anderson. And he's 16 years old, living in Southern California. And, of course, License to Drive is the title of the movie, so he's trying to get his driver's license. Now, he has a crush on one of the uh, most popular and attractive girls in school. Her name just so happens to be named after a car, Mercedes. Her last name's Lane, so Mercedes Lane, Heather Graham. Beautiful, I might add. 
And uh, essentially, long story short, uh, Les fails his driver's exam. See, what happens is is that uh, he took the computer test, he failed, got pissed off, hit the computer, and it crashed. Now, his twin sister, of course, passed, so they figured because they're twins, how differently can they be? And they let him go ahead to do his road test. So he passes the road test, he goes to get his license, and the DMV, of course, finds out, hey, guess what? We found out what the deal is, and they get the score, and they tear up his new license. So... Uh, Les, of course, lies to his parents and friends and convinces them that, hey, I passed the test. Everything's good because in his mind, he's going to go Monday, do the test over again, get his license. Now, his parents find out the truth, of course, and Les gets grounded. So uh, later that night, he did make plans to uh, hang out with uh, Mercedes. And what he's going to do is he's going to use his grandfather's prized possession. It's a 1972 Cadillac for the night on the town. Now, being the uh, suave teenager he is, he's able to sneak out of the house, goes and picks up Mercedes, and they go uh, essentially to this hill uh, in Los Angeles to where her father used to bring her. She gets drunk, her and Les caused the hood of the car to slightly cave in because they were dancing on it. Then Mercedes passes out. So, of course, Les is panicking. So he goes to his best friend, which is Corey Feldman's character, Dean. So Dean fixes the dent in the car's hood. And then Dean, of course, all he wants to do is just, you know, he's the he's the cool, cocky one, way different than his character in Lost Boys. He just wants to go out on a town for a joyride. So they get their third wheel, I like to call Charles, uh, into the mix. Uh, both of them are still unaware of the fact that Les doesn't have his license. So the three of them, uh, along with uh, a blacked out Mercedes, they put her in the trunk of a car. They end up getting into all kinds of crazy adventures uh, where they end up getting the Cadillac damaged and then Les's mom is pregnant and she's about ready to give birth that night. So after Les goes through some crazy adventures, which we'll talk about, uh, the Cadillac gets very damaged. He heads home and uh, is expecting to get into some major trouble with his father after coming back home. Uh, you know, after, of course, he drops off Charles, Dean, and Mercedes. But at this point, uh, his mother is going into labor. And his father is so pissed off, he wants his little brother to drive uh, the mother to the hospital. And she's just like, no, he can do it. He drive me. You got to sit with me in the back. He's like, fine, you know, go ahead and get us there. So then we get this crazy adventure of Les trying to drive to the hospital because the Cadillac at this point only works in reverse. And uh, by the end of it... Uh, Les's father tells Les that uh, the BMW that he wanted earlier in the film is all his because when his grandfather shows up, first thing he wants is his Cadillac and they take him to the garage, show him the Cadillac has now been crushed due to an incident that happened at the hospital. He laughs it off because the BMW he borrowed has the same incident where that car's crashed. And Les's father's like, here you go. You want a BMW? There you go. He's like, nah, dad, it's cool. I already have a Mercedes. And Mercedes picks him up and he drives off. And then we get the awesome song, Jump in My Car, Billy Ocean, Good Time. So that's essentially what happens in this movie. All right. Now, there is a lot to talk about in this movie that's only an hour and 28 minutes long. Because there's a lot of stuff that happens. This movie, from the get-go, 
moves, man. It does not slow down, which is one of the things I think makes it so appealing and why it's lasted so long in such a cult status, if you will, because this movie... You know, it's just fast. License the drive. It's just, it, it starts up, it gets going. There's never a dull moment. And this movie definitely doesn't take itself too seriously, which is one of the appeals of the movie. So let's start off. We got a really cool intro to this movie. Uh, you know, it's got a lot, it's got really cool music. And then uh, it's got just classic kind of uh, animation going on, but it's a lot of car stuff, stop signs, so on and so forth. And then when we get to the actual, you know, credits are over, and then we get the school bus that we see less in. Did anybody not think of Nightmare on Elm Street 2 when you saw this opening? I mean, come on. Which is what I think they were going for because this movie came out in 88. We had Nightmare on Elm Street 2 that came out in 85. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, in the beginning of Nightmare on Elm Street 2, it starts off where our main character is on a bus and then the bus gets attacked by Freddy Krueger. So in this one, we have the uh, teacher who's teaching, uh, t- you know, driver Zed. He is the driver of the bus, and everybody's chained and everything like that. So we have Corey uh, Haim, who is all nice and clean and pristine, while everybody's all nasty looking. He cuts his chains off, and then he jumps out the window after he sees Mercedes sitting in a Magnum PI Ferrari. So immediately you're kind of like, what the hell is going on here? But of course, we find out it's a dream. That's all good because because it's a dream sequence, you can do whatever you want in a dream sequence. But the reason why this is work the reason why this works is because it's a dream sequence and number 2 is because it starts the movie off. So immediately you know you're in for some fun fun times because this Beginning sequence is crazy. I mean, think about it. We have Mr. Uh, Corey Haim, a.k.a. Les, running down sidewalk and he slides on his tennis shoes like he's on a slick floor as in, you know, risky business Tom Cruise in his underwear. You can't do that with those shoes on sidewalk. You know, even though they did in this movie, I don't know anybody who could possibly pull that off. So, I mean, that kind of warns you right ahead. Hey, this is a dream, but it works. It's good times. Now, one of the things that happens a lot in this movie is the laugh that Les does. The, ha, I can't do it like Corey Haim used to do it, but man, it's really good. It could get annoying. Some people may not like it, but to me, I think it definitely fits his character. What I really like in this movie is is that we have uh, Les, who is more of the uh, very cautious person, you know, doesn't want to get into trouble. He, he kind of wants to bend the rules, but he doesn't want to break them. And then we have Dean, who's all about, you know, he's cool, calm, collective. He's just all about let's have some fun. He's willing to just, you know, do some damage just to have some kicks. So you have really good chemistry there with those two. And uh, when we first see Mercedes, uh, a young Heather Graham, who is definitely aged well. You know, I definitely had the hots for her when I saw this movie. She's gone on to have a, a pretty interesting career. I mean, she's not the biggest actress, if you will, but she's definitely, um, you know, she's done some really good roles. So I definitely dig Heather Graham. Uh, she's not in this movie a whole lot, but any scene she's in, she works. Uh, she does a good job of at first kind of using less and then as the movie progresses starting to realize that less is the good guy and that she doesn't need a bad boy she needs a good boy 
And I really like that because in most of these movies, the good guy gets tossed to the side for some douchebag bad guy. But in this movie, everybody wins. It's all good. So uh, one of the things that I really dig is this uh, this Cadillac that they introduce us to in the be- you know in the beginning of the movie? You know there had to have been a fine line when they were creating this movie of how do we pick a car that's uh, that, that can handle the kind of stuff that we're going to put it through, looks nice, but it's still an old person's car. But you know it, it's definitely a balance that they had to go with here, and I like the fact that we're dealing with this Cadillac here because this thing's a boat, but it man it's built to withstand a lot of things and uh you know it it could be considered cool you know and maybe a a ladies mobile if you will but at the same time it's definitely for people that are like 80 years old and want to drive this thing around so i like the perfect balance that this car brings because in itself this car is a character in this movie so i think if they would have had a different kind of car it wouldn't have worked and wouldn't have made this movie so fun but because of the kind of car that they used kind of like christine works for that movie this car works for this movie it's kind of hard to explain but you know what i'm saying at the same time that any other car would have made this movie suffer i feel now i love the introduction to dean uh when we have uh less you know, getting almost run over by, uh, you know, Mercedes and her boyfriend. And we have Dean show up. First thing you hear him say is scumbag. And he's like, get on my bike, you know. And then you get the crazy bike scene of, you know, we have Les getting hit over the head with trees and branches. And, of course, it's not really Corey Hain getting hit with this. But you get the point. It's really cool. It's really fun. It's really action-packed for a bike ride. And, I mean, this definitely reminds me of the Corey Feldman from The Burbs, you know, which is kind of cool. So, anyways, I really dig this bike thing. It's a good way. And Corey Haim does, or Corey Feldman does this thing. It's really hard to explain, but he has this um, specific body language he does, which you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when we get to where uh, we meet Les's dad and he asks Dean to help him out in the garage and clean it up. And he starts to fake that he's coughing and he goes, you know, I'm uh, I'm allergic to dust. You know, I, I got to go. And he raises his hands out and puts his head back. It's like a, a certain body language movement that only Corey Feldman does. And it, it works. You know, it's kind of cheesy in a way, but it works. It's really hard to explain. But you kind of know what I'm talking about, like in Ninja Turtles uh, Part 1, where uh, guys, uh, technically speaking, you know, this is where all the ninjas are going to come up from the roof and then like he licks his hand and then uh, puts his hand above his head and, you know, puts his hand back uh, where he starts to talk about how the building's going to fall and then all the ninjas come down and fall. It's just that kind of stuff is what I'm talking about. I always dig when Corey Feldman does stuff like that. Now, as far as annoyances that go, uh, I'd say one of the annoyances I had was at the dinner table where Les is asking uh, his dad, which is dad. I mean, we got to talk about this guy in a little bit. This guy is a crazy dad. Um, I wish I could be like this guy, I swear. But they're at the dinner table. You know, this is before the mom gets the big mashed potatoes and puts all the ketchup all over and stuff. But he goes, dad, did you look at the brochure? And he goes, what'd you think? And he puts his like mouth down, like he he drops his jaw, and they like hold the camera there for like a second. He looks ridiculous. I don't know what it is. It's just something that Corey that Corey Haim always does. He has these like bewildered looks on his face. Like 
I don't know, like, I don't know what's going on kind of face, you know, it's cool. It's, it's quirky, but I don't know. That was always the one thing where when he'd hand the brochure and be like, what'd you think? And then he just like drops his jaw. You know, I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain, but I definitely dig though. When the mom gets her crap and she goes, you know, uh, you know, this is what I used to eat with all you guys, you know, and you guys turn out fine. Now, I love this scene where uh, we have Les eating dinner and we have Dean show up. He's like, come on, Les, let's go. And the mom and dad tell him, sit down, you know. And he's just eating away because, you know, we have Dean on the horn just pressing it nonstop. And it's getting louder and louder and driving people crazy. He's just smiling away like, ah, you know, it's cool. I dig it. But it's kind of weird that the moment that they say go, that the horn stops. You know, it's like, how did Dean possibly know that his parents said it's okay for him to go and it was time to let off the horn? But I get it. It's cool. You know, whatever. Just kind of moving on. All right. Now, I want to talk about this isn't my favorite scene, but this is my favorite line from the movie that makes me laugh so much. And depending on what time of day it is, determines if this word is allowed to be said so we will go ahead and censor ourselves but you know what part i'm talking about this is where they're going to the party and we have the guys show up in the vehicle and they're like and we have we have the mom of dean's mom her face is so priceless when you have the guys the punks show up in the car and they're like hey dweebs does your mom hold your beep while you piss too Oh man, her face is so priceless that I laugh so bad. And she's like, and then Dean's like, "Oh, sorry, mom, forgot to introduce you. Those are my friends." I mean, obviously, those are douchebags of the movie, but just the way that they say that, "Hey, dweebs, does your mom hold your sensor while you're pissed too?" Oh, so good. I laugh so bad at that scene. I cry. It's terrible. I know. I shouldn't be laughing that hard. I just do. It's the way it's done. It's the way it's shot. The way her face looks. It's priceless. I dig it. So let's talk about our third wheel of this movie, which is uh, Charles. Who really cares about this character? I mean, in all honesty, this is a Corey and Corey film. This is the story of Les and Dean. I mean, Charles isn't even on the cover. This guy's just a dork. He's a dweeb. He's just, I'm not saying he's terrible act, you know, a terrible character, uh, he's the least person I think about in this movie. Even though he's in this adventure with the guys, this guy is such a third wheel, I could really care less about him. How Does he bring the movie down? Absolutely not. Uh, is this guy terrible? Absolutely not. He's just there. He's, you know, he, he works for what he needs to do, but it's just, he's kind of the third wheel. You don't really need him. I mean, this movie works so much better if he wasn't there, but technically the end sequence wouldn't have worked if he was not there. And we'll get there in a little bit. But anyways, Charles, he's cool. He you know, he works for what he needs to do, but he's definitely not my favorite character of the movie. Now, luckily we have somebody who shows up on screen that we only see twice, and that's uh that's Mercedes' boyfriend, which is uh Paolo. This guy is annoying. He comes in and he's all like, Mercedes, you know, I don't like to uh, uh, perspire, you know. And I, I mean, oh, it's re- 
ridiculous the way that this guy is. And, oh, I'm so glad that she gets rid of this guy and she slaps him in the face later on in the movie. This guy's ridiculous. Friends, friends are okay. But these are all teenagers. You know, don't make me uh, perspire. You know, I can't even do it like this guy. I don't even want to do it like this guy because this guy's terrible. So I'm glad this guy's only in two scenes of the movie. Good times. It's good when he gets slapped in the face. So I dig it. Now, let's talk about the dad because the dad has one of the uh, funniest scenes in the movie. Uh, you know, Mr. Anderson played by Richard uh, Massore. Now, Richard Massore, this guy is uh, in a lot of different things. Uh, you may know this guy from uh, Murphy Brown, Law and Order. Uh, as far as movies, I mean, this guy was in Risky Business. Uh, he was in My Science Project. If you remember him in My Science Project, he was the uh, the lawman who was after Mike and Vinny, who eventually took him to the police station, and then they got loose and stuff. So he was definitely fun in that movie. But as far as the dad, he's good times because this is a dad who uh, he cares about his kids. He's kind of he's kind of like a he's more of a friend than he is a dad. You know, he's all about you know, hey, thanks for saving me twenty six thousand dollars. You know, and you know you're grounded for two weeks. It's not the end of the world. To you pissed this guy off, and he's like. We had a college fund for you. That's gone. You used to have a room. That's gone too. I mean, this guy is great. And then a second later, he'll be like, okay, I'll let you drive. You know, this guy is just like the most trustworthy guy ever. I don't know. But he's good times because when he's trying to take less out for his uh, his driver's test, I like when, uh, dad, that's a stoplight. Good call. You know, and then he sees Mercedes and he asks his dad, hey, dad, you know, can I go take her? He's like, are you crazy? You don't even have a license. And he's trying to tell his dad that it's only going to be a block. Now, let me just say this. This is one of the dumbest things in this movie. Um, so he wants to pick up Mercedes and drive her a block. Now, Mercedes gets inside the vehicle. What normal person do you know that would get inside a vehicle so they can be driven a block? That's stupid. If you've been walking this whole entire time and your house is like the next, you know, it's a block up, why the hell would you get in the car and be dropped off? That's stupid. It's not like she had groceries or anything where she had this big heavy load that she needed. Then, yeah, okay, that would make sense. But no, yeah, sure, I'll jump in the car with you so you could drive me a block, which will take me like four minutes to maybe walk to my house ridiculous stupid scene but by this point the movie has been firing on all cylinders i've been having so much fun with it it's just a tiny little air and it's definitely a fun scene because when he gets in trouble you know he had said dad you know i promised this would be my last favor and he's like well less you know that this isn't true i like when the dad sits him down just like you know what you did son you just used up the last favor you're ever gonna get from me you know and stuff like that so it's it's a fun scene it's it's a fun consequence scene so i'm cool with it i can forgive it no big deal now one of my favorite lines is when the guys are hanging out getting ready for the big test and we have natalie who is his twin sister but is very smart and all about the books and everything all about studying and then we have uh good old dean that's uh got that he's on like the intercom and he's like natalie i was wondering if you we were driving 55 miles per hour and you collided with the runaway train would it make any improvements on your face oh you know and any burps in her ear and stuff it's hilarious it's good stuff i really dig it 
And uh, then we get the the good, fun DMV scene. Now, there's a big screw-up that happens in this scene. And you're like, well, what are you talking about there's a big screw-up? Okay. So we all know about the test that, uh, that you know, Les has to take. Which this DMV is stupid anyways because they say, you know, due to us losing memory, you know, we couldn't retrieve your test and your sister passed, blah, 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 blah. I mean, come on. This is the DMV. They have backup upon backup upon backup. But, of course, this is today. This is back then. It's just kind of funny. But they clearly tell you when he starts this test. If you get five wrong, you fail. So he gets the first question right, and then the second one, he's like, why don't they just give licenses away? He gets it wrong, so that's one. The second time is when he is asked about the bike, if it has the right-of-way or whatever. He gets that wrong, so that's two. The third one happens when the montage starts, and they get to question nine. He gets it wrong, so that's three. Then we get to question 21. That's four. And then we get to one more in the montage, and it's number five. And then it says, warning, you get one more wrong, you fail. So he gets six wrong. Not five. He gets six wrong. Go back, watch it. He gets six wrong. It's crazy. Mr. Less gets special privilege, and he gets to get six wrong versus everybody else gets five. It's always annoyed me ever since I've seen this. The very first time I caught it, most people don't catch it. It's, I mean, it's funny. Most people won't really realize it in the montage, but yeah, go ahead and watch it back. It's six times. So now let's talk about uh, one of the best characters in this movie, and that's uh, Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Oh my gosh, this guy is some good times, and this, of course, would be. Mr. James Avery, a.k.a. Shredder from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Uncle Phil. I mean, come on, you guys know who I'm talking about here. And, of course, this is the guy that Les has for his road test. And his sister gets this very quiet but sexist guy who's just like very, very, very good. You know, I mean, this guy's obnoxious. But uh, I love it. Last name first, first name last, you know. And he's like, there's only one thing I, I love in this godforsaken world, and that's my cup of coffee. So basically, if he spills the coffee, he loses. If he doesn't spill the coffee, he passes. And he makes him do these stupid, ridiculous things like go up this hill and stay there. And then you have these old people that are honking at less when it should be the other way around. It's usually young people are honking at the old people to move their ass. Instead, it's the other way around. You dumb idiot, get out of the way. Blah. I mean, you have the old guy who's just going off on less it's hilarious it's good times and uh he's like what are you waiting for you know it's like he'll tell him to do something give him an order and then he'll get mad at him for not doing the next step you know that's what i love about this character and then he'll tell him the pel the parallel park and like this little tiny thing what am i speaking greek you know oh it's so good and then of course uh, Les gets to the very end and almost hits somebody. He hits the brakes, but the cup was empty. He passes. See you on the battlefield, son, and throws his clipboard. Oh, I, well, he threw his clipboard out earlier. But anyway, he's good times. You'll see him later on in the movie. But as much time as he's on screen is so good and so funny. I love this guy. Now, you got to love the phone that Les gets to have in his room. I mean, number one. How many of you guys had a phone in your room before we had cell phones? I know I never did. And Les gets to have his own phone in his room. And then his dad comes in and tries to get him to drink. You just saved me all this money because he found out that he failed the test. And he's grounded for two weeks. But, 
you know, and then we get the introduction to his sister's boyfriend, which is uh, Car- Carl, I believe is his name. And this guy's ridiculous. That's all I'm going to say about this character. I'm glad I only see him twice, just like Pablo so or whatever that guy's name was. So, yeah, good times. Uh, the sister goes out. She's going to this protest. She's got the BMW or I guess another BMW. And Les is stuck home. And then he gets the call from Mercedes. Hey, you know, I thought we were going out tonight. And he goes to what a normal teenager would do. Go check up on the parents. Parents are sleeping. And then he says the famous line, innocent girl on a harmless drive. What could possibly go wrong? Number one, stupid. You don't ever say that. Because when you say that, the worst things in life happen to you. You don't ever say, what's the worst that could ever happen? That's just like you're in a horror movie and you go outside because you hear a creepy noise. It's a death wish. Don't ever say that. So everything that happens to Les, I have no sympathy for you, Les, because you said the death wish line. So there you go. And of course, he tells Mercedes, I'll be right there. And we get real funny stuff of him trying to sneak out the Cadillac going over the bushes. I mean, you guys know what it was like when you're trying to sneak out of, you know, your parents' house cuz come on. I know you did and you were trying not to make any noise and you would always hit something that would be so loud and you're praying that you didn't wake your parents up. I mean, come on, we've all done it. So Les finally gets to Mercedes' house and then Mercedes, you pretty much know for about, you know, the first 5 minutes are together. She just wants to, you know, go to her man and then, uh, you know, they go to this nightclub and, of course, Les can't get in. But she sees him with another woman and he's like, oh, she's moving in. And she slaps him across the face and she grabs alcohol. And here's one thing I've never understood. So somebody please write in, which, by the way, Lisa the Legend, I got to apologize. You wrote in about some kind of wonderful when I asked people to write in about that. I totally forgot to read that email. So I promise you I will go ahead and read your email about your uh, some kind of wonderful answer that I asked for. But here's another one I have for you guys. So we have the tow guy, right? Uh, he's he's towing away the Cadillac and he's like, Les is like, no, stop. I'll give you everything I got. How much? So Les gives him 80 bucks. All the guy does is laugh and says 80 bucks. He puts the car down 80 bucks and he keeps laughing. So I'm confused. Is the guy happy that he got $80 because it was way cheaper back in the 80s? Is he laughing because it should have been way more and he only had $80 and he's laughing because he took all the money he had? I don't understand the laughing there. It's funny, but I don't understand the motivation behind it. So somebody please write in and tell me why is he laughing like that over 80 bucks? I don't get it. Now, I do love when the Les and Mercedes, they go up to that hill and he wants to put in his little mixtape and the cassette player spits it out. This is what I was talking about where the movie doesn't take itself seriously because no tape player in the world would ever take your tape and like play it real fast and spit it out. It was hilarious though. If that's ever happened, awesome, but I've never personally ever seen that. But again, this is a movie that's trying not to take itself seriously by doing things like this. But of course, Grandpa's Top Tens, and then we have, uh, what is it, Frank Sinatra songs, and he's and he tells Mercedes, you must be drunk if you like this song, you know, stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's actually a, a, a nice scene, you know, it's kind of an innocent scene, you know, she's drunk, he's not, and... He's taking care of her, and even though she's drunk out of her mind, 
you know, she definitely knows, especially when she wakes up, that Les is always there for her and taking care of her and her, you know, he's always there to comfort her. And that's kind of what this scene is supposed to establish because we won't really see too much of her anymore after this scene, but it does a really good job of kind of setting up the relationship that these two are going to have in the future. It's good stuff. Now, uh, I would say one of my other favorite lines that I absolutely love is uh, after Mercedes is knocked out cold, he goes to Dean's house to get the um, the the roof, not the roof, but the hood, because the hood is like smashed in from Mercedes dancing on it. He goes and takes a sledgehammer and he's like pounding away. His first line is, "Don't worry about it, Les. My parents are vampires." I mean, come on. Were you guys not laughing at that when you heard that scene? I mean, come on. This movie came out in 1988. And when did The Lost Boys come out? That's right. It came out the year prior in 1987. So this is a nice, fun callback to The Lost Boys. Uh, it's kind of, you know, subtle, but it works. You know, he's just like, my, don't worry about it. My parents are vampires. I just love it. It's good funny comedy now i definitely have to say less is so much like me because i am so uptight like less is when i was with my friends uh you know especially if like we're at my house you know when i i grew up in an environment where you couldn't touch anything everything was like a museum my dad would know if you move something like a half a centimeter i mean you couldn't have dust anywhere i mean it was terrible so you know it took my wife kicking my rear end to get my you know to get me on track and how it's supposed to be a house is supposed to be lived in a house isn't supposed to be a museum it's all fine and dandy if you want to have a nice house but don't be anal retentive about it you know what i'm saying so i'm exactly how less was i'd be all like super you know uptight and be like no i don't want to do this you know i'm worried about this we're gonna get busted by the cops we're gonna you know we're gonna get in trouble you know and the way as uptight as he is with this car is exactly how i was with my friends when i would be worried that the fun things they want to do is what's going to send me to jail you know so i honestly think we stayed out of jail because of me because i was so uptight is the reason why we stayed out of jail so my friends you can thank me for that you're welcome. But I also love his uh, his reaction to Dean, where he's like, you know what? You give me another card that I'm not DNA attached to, and things will be different, which is so true. I mean, come on. He's so scared about messing up this car. If you give him another car, he's ready to rock and roll, which, I mean, he proves later on in the movie. But I, I definitely dig Les's, uh, you know, just being so... Oh, protective I guess is the word I'm looking for and then we have the opposite which is Dean who wants to be reckless you know so that's what makes this movie the best of the Corey films because they're so different but they play so well off of each other and opposites attract and that's what you want to watch are these two going at it bumping heads but they don't bump heads it's just one wants to do one thing and one wants to do complete opposite and the middle is what always happens. You know, it, that's what's so amazing with these two guys. Now, of course, I would say the second best scene of the movie is got to be where they go off the road and, and they go off the hill and they land at like that restaurant and, you know, Les is checking for scratches. What I love is he's carrying Mercedes because, you know, Mercedes is like, oh, I'm going to throw up. And Dean's like, oh, help, help. And they get her out. What I love is, is that you see 
less is dragging Mercedes. And then the moment he thinks about, oh my God, there's probably a scratch in the car. He drops her on the ground and Charles tries really hard to get to her, but he misses because he's so tiny. I love it. It's great. What I really love is Charles trying to pick up Mercedes and you could tell he's trying not to touch her boobs, but just the way he's doing it, he's just like, "Uh, I got to put my hand here. And I got to put my hand there. Just watch it. That's my favorite part of Charles is him trying to to carry her without touching her boobs. It's hilarious. I love it. It's good stuff. But that's what I love about Les. He's just like, forget Mercedes. You know, there's a scratch in my car. Look at that little tiny scratch. And then, of course, you have Dean coming to rescue your dad. You know, he's got glasses on. And then he gives him the speech with the American, you know, sound like the American anthem playing. You know, you got a license. You know, no one can tell you what to do. We got to go to Archie's, you know, and they decide to go to Archie's. Archie's is fun because they come in contact with King Douchebags from the guys earlier in the movie that were talking about, you know, their mom helping them go pee. So uh, I love it when uh, I think it's Charles goes to grab food, opens the door and slams it in the other car. And man, that guy gets out. Now, my favorite Corey Haim face in this whole entire movie is when he gets out of the car and he's just like, oh, crap, I got to start the car. It's just it's the funniest face I've ever seen him do. I definitely love that face. It is so good. Now, let me tell you guys a little story here, because if you notice, they decide to I guess earlier, I should say. Before they got to Archie's, they decided they were going to put Mercedes in a trunk. Let me tell you a little story about this part of the movie. Because this, for me, has to be my suspension of disbelief. Out of all the crap that these guys go through, this is my suspension of disbelief. Because uh, when before my wife and, you know, and I had kids, we would go to the local fair. So one time, I was very evil. And I decided I did not want to pay to get in because it was like 10 bucks to get in. It's a ridiculous price just to get in when you're going to spend like $50 on food. So my wife had uh, a Dodge Neon, which was really cool because it was one of those where you could pull the back seat down and then there's the trunk. So my friend and I decided that we were going to go in the trunk and we would go ahead and, you know, sneak, have my wife pay to get in and then we would just sneak out of the trunk when. Uh, we pulled into a, a parking space. Well, let me just tell you this. I must have been in that trunk for like maybe seven minutes. It was so ungodly hot in there. I couldn't breathe or nothing. I could not wait to get out. I was hitting my head off of my friend. I mean, I don't know if it's because it was already warm out and that extra body uh, in the trunk with me made it even hotter. But I'm telling you. Mercedes, man, she had to have had like an air conditioner in there because girl would have been sweaty. She would have been super hot. It would not have been comfortable. So I don't buy that trunk story. I mean, I don't buy her being in the trunk this whole entire time and everything's all honky-dory. That girl should have came out soaking wet from being so hot. But hey, this is a fun movie. I go along with it. But I also wanted to just tell you that story because... For you kids at home, don't ever sneak into the fair. Do the honest thing and pay because if you try to sneak into the fair inside a trunk, you're just going to pay for it by getting super hot and hit your head off of you know various things. So don't ever do that. That's your masoonist tip of the week. Moving on. All right, now let's talk about my favorite scene of the whole entire movie, and that is the drunk scene. 
Oh my gosh. Still to this day, you know how there's some movies where you can watch and the part that you love is funny, but it's not as funny as it was the first time you saw it. And eventually over time, it starts to get watered down and you don't even laugh at it. This is one scene that I constantly laugh at just as hard as I did the first time I've seen it. I've seen this movie, I mean, a good 15, 20 times. Uh, and that's what, you know, of course, when he throws up. I mean, it's just, it's so good. But this drunk scene is awesome because the guys, they get busted by the cops. And they're like, sir, I don't have my license. The guys find out, you know, we're juveniles. Nothing's going to happen to us. Good call, Dean. You know, and let's see what's in the trunk, Anderson. Uh, What the hell is this? My date? You know, and then, of course, they get lucky. And they're like, oh, this is great. And I, my favorite line from the whole entire movie is, I'm dead. I'm so dead. They're going to have to bury me twice. It's my favorite line from the whole entire movie because the drunk guy gets inside the Cadillac, takes off, and it's super funny. And this is where I, I like Charles because Charles is not the third wheel. He's actually trying to do something. He's actually trying to get you know communicate with this guy. But overall, it's it's the most action-packed scene of the whole entire uh, – well, I mean, you could argue technically the ending where they're trying to get to the hospital is the most action-packed. But I honestly think this is the most action-packed scene. That's where the Cadillac is just getting tore up, man. We got – paint flying everywhere we got bumpers falling off we got this guy cutting the dashboard and mumbling to himself but the only bad part about this scene is this is very bad filmmaking is the terrible adr that happens when they when less says the line of i'm dead i'm so dead they're gonna have to bury me twice and they get inside the drunk's car you have Charles say, you want to go ahead and get in this car? And he goes, he stole. And Les says, well, he stole my car. I'm going to steal his. Les's mouth does not move. He's just trying to get the key in the ignition and go. Never says a single word. Then when the drunk guy is uh, is talking, he is, again, he's talking about, they're pushing me around. You know, which is actually my favorite line that he says where he's trying to stab the um the dashboard he has the knife up there he goes people pushing me around he doesn't say anything his mouth is closed but they have that word they have that line come across the you know you you hear it so it's terrible adr uh it's very funny adr and i really like the lines but super bad editing so that definitely sucks it really does because it brings the funniness of that scene down just a tiny bit and of course i love the uh you know when they finally are able to stop the guy and uh dean gives him his keys oh you're very kind and he goes friends don't let friends drive drunk and he throws his keys well you call yourself a friend oh i love it man the the drunk guy is definitely the best the best you know secondary character if you will of this movie i love it so it's by far my favorite scene even though there's that bad adr that happens i still laugh hysterically when the guy's throwing up the way his face looks and the sound effect so good man i still laugh just as much as i did the first time around the funniest line is the guys you know talking to dean's mom about you know going pee but that's my favorite 
actual scene of the whole entire film. And then, of course, we get the ending, which is pretty crazy. I mean, you got to love the mom. She's so calm. She's the one having a baby, and, and it's Les's dad that's all like, you know, all getting all crazy. You got to breathe. You got to breathe, you know. And, and the mom's just all cool, calm, and collective until, of course, she's about ready to give birth. But I just love the dad. You know, when he finds out what happened to the Cadillac, it was like, Les, what were you thinking? You know, number one, there's vomit in that car. So why is he lying in vomit? You know, he never actually comes up with vomit on him. But the guy clearly threw up on the driver's side, and yet Les is laying inside the driver. Now, yeah, granted, they would have cleaned it up. But, dude, you would have been stinking laying in that stuff. That's all I'm saying. But this is a very fun scene. I dig it. It's good times. Um, just super, super fun. I mean, it's arguably the second most action-packed scene of the film and the dad goes from being psycho to you know college fun gone you used to have a room gone to i mean the mom is biting him when he's like no your brother will drive and she goes i want you in the back scene and she bites his hand doesn't even phase him a bit and he goes fine but be careful well no he says that when he has to drive in reverse so I love it. It's great. And then the grandpa this whole time been freaking out. You find out that he's cool with the car being wrecked because he wrecked the car. And then Mercedes shows up and then they put on the song, you know, uh, the, the awesome Billy Ocean song, Get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car. And, and the movie's over. So here's my overall rating for this film. This by far still holds up to this day, even though this is definitely an 80s movie. It still holds up to this day because it's number one, very, very funny. It's very, uh, very creative. Uh, it's very fast. Our, you know, I talked about this a little while ago. Our generation is all about fast, 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 now, now, now. You know, we don't want to take the time to watch a story unfold. This is the movie for you, man. You want to get going right from the beginning? Boom. Put this movie in and you are ready to rock and roll. One hour and 28 minutes later, you are done. You are energized. You've had fun. You've laughed. Great times. This movie, by far, gets a solid four and a half stars for me. Obviously, I'm not going to give it five because, number one, it's got that terrible ADR issue. Uh, there's a few dumb scenes that I pointed out, but again, it's just, it's it, they're fun, dumb scenes, if you will, but I have so much fun with this movie. It's still as good, uh, today as it was back then. If you were to tell me Lost Boys is your favorite Corey's, Corey's film, that's great. That's excellent. I'm happy for you. I can't argue with you. For me, it's License to Drive. This is my Corey's film. Now, if we're talking solo films, which when we get to Silver Bullet, I'll go more into the solo stuff of Corey Haim versus the solo stuff of Corey Feldman. And we'll talk about that when we get to Silver Bullet because I think it definitely comes into play. But in regards to the Corys and Corys, this is my movie. Uh, this is the one that I go to. My wife loves this movie. I love this movie. It's got great 80s music. It's just got great fun characters. Even the stupid, ridiculous, annoying ones are still uh, fun to watch on screen. So very strong four and a half stars. Excellent film. Um, I'm sure you've watched this movie if you're listening to this. But if for some reason you haven't, go get this sucker now. I highly, highly recommend this film. It is a good, fun time movie. So that is it, guys, for my review. So let's go ahead and hear what the STL Nation has to say. Nothing's gonna ever keep you down, you're the best. 
All right. So here is our first email. We got uh, Peter the Time Traveler writes in. He's like, greetings, Masunis and the STL Nation. I remember License to Drive being one of those movies that were on consistent rotation on one of the cable channels in the early 90s. It was definitely one of those that I'd watch whenever it was on. It's probably been literally two decades since I've seen it. I totally don't remember the love interest being Heather Graham. Let's talk about the cast. I wonder if the writer gave Mercedes her name just to use the uh, cheesy line at the end. I have a Mercedes. It's possible. I don't know. But it is actually a good line. I kind of dig it. Heather Graham was fine playing the pretty popular girl. It was one of those roles that it could have been anyone really. I love Corey and Corey. They do what the Coreys do. What is it? Was it me? Or did Les look like he shared clothes with Zach Morris? It's true. Uh, Anyway, they were both hilarious. And so were his quirky parents. I think his sister was a non-factor and the little brother was okay. Which is true. The little brother and the big sister are just, you know, background characters. Not really a big deal in this movie. Remember what Lisa the Legend said about seatbelts? At least I think it was Lisa. The first time Les picks up Mercedes after kicking his own dad out of the car, neither characters wore seatbelts. Ironically, wearing the seatbelts was emphasized during his driver's test, which is very true. Some of the scenes that I liked when he was uh, talking, when he was taking the computer test, it showed how dated the movie is when Les wearing the DJ headphones and the computer screen was green. It didn't bother me, but I thought it was hilarious, which is true. It was definitely some old school PCs. And then afterwards, I liked how they would show how much more difficult of a time he had than his sister did at driving. My next favorite scene was when the drunk guy uh, took off with the car. Uh, He started singing and looking around the car and it was like where am i then uh that had me rolling lastly i really enjoyed the backwards driving when he took his parents to the hospital overall this movie is great fun and uh really funny i give it 3.5 stars the cool thing about this movie was how most of the characters have been in something you masunis have either reviewed or mentioned the Corys were in the lost boys Feldman voiced Donatello in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. The dad was an Encino man, which is true. Totally forgot about that. Uh, which you quote. Uh, Heather Graham was in Twins. Uh, she was in Twins? Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to look that up because I don't remember who she was. The Corey's friend Charles was in a TV version of Weird Science. That's true. And the DMV instructor is the great Philip Banks from Fresh Print. 80s galore. Well, now that I've put everyone to sleep... I'll listen for to your comments off air. Can't wait for Indiana Jones time traveling Peter. Well, that is pretty awesome, sir. You, of course, would know the most because you've gone through the whole entire catalog in like two and a half, um, you know, two and a half weeks. That was pretty crazy how you did that, sir. Um, man, she was in Twins. I don't remember her in Twins. I'm gonna have to look this up. Give me a second here. All right. So let's see, Twins. Where was she at? All right, sir. I'm looking it up, and I don't see... Oh, my gosh. You're right. Young Mary Ann Benedict. Holy crap. I had no idea. Oh, you're right. I did mention that, but I totally forgot that was her. 
Good call, sir. You're right. That is pretty awesome, man. That's pretty awesome trivia. Good times. Uh, Indiana Jones, man. You might have to wait till November for that sucker, man. Don't you know? Don't hold your breath for too long waiting for Indiana Jones. But good times, man. Good, good catches. So thank you so much for writing in, sir. Good times. Now, uh, Lisa the Legend wrote in. Uh, this is for some kind of wonderful. I should have read this a while ago. I totally forgot about. It. So let me go. Uh, to, you know, let me go back here. She says, hi y'all. Okay. So I'm listening to the episode, the earring debacle. So he got those expensive earrings. He was giving them to Amanda. The symbolism is that it isn't just money. It's the beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful, nice thing. But at the end of the day, it's just money. He's also saying, if this is what you need to realize you deserve good things in life, then here you go. He was doing that and he wanted to do that for Amanda. As for giving them the watts, the symbolism is it's not going to college. Uh, since I'm not going to college, I'm investing in my future, which is you. She never had anything in life or with her family, so he's showing her she's worth everything. Lisa the Legend. Well, very good. Unfortunately, I don't have Jameson to roll that off of, but uh, that was excellent. Uh, you know, I can go with that. Good times. Here's what she had to say about License to Drive. Hi, y'all. I love we are finally getting to the Corey, to a Corey Hay movie. First, I have to address Jameson's question about Patrick Dempsey's movie from the Legend of Billie Jean episode, Happily Together. Yes, I have seen it. I love my 80s B movies. They win again. I wish I could find my copy, but yes, I've seen it. I remember it because at the time, Patrick Dempsey was on fire with Can't Buy Me Love. Excellent movie and Loverboy. I've seen both of those. Uh, it was a B-movie at best, trying to be like so many of the movies at the time, but it had its cute parts. Okay, on to my boy, Corey Haim. He was my favorite actor growing up, up until he passed. I admit I got caught up in my teenage crush land, but he had some great acting chops. I was, ev- I was even a member of his fan club. I know back when there was a write-in and get fake letters back fan club, not Facebook, Instagram, obsessed fan clubs. To put it in Masuna's terms, he was my Elizabeth Shue. I could totally go with that. I, I'm hoping you're excited for Silver Bullet. Uh, I can't. I'm hoping you like that movie. I can't wait to hear your thoughts because I'm gonna tell you right now, Silver Bullet is my favorite Corey Haim film. So I'm hoping you really dig that movie. Uh, you knew you were always in for a good time with Corey Haim, but you add Corey Feldman in. It was pure teenage '80s gold, or should I say, Tiger Beat gold, which is true. And I had a whole bunch of those things. I could watch them all day long. Now, mind you, I always thought Corey Haim was way better than Feldman. Uh, you can guess all all you want, but um, you can guess all you want. But I will defend Corey Haim all day long. He just had that face you couldn't help but love. I won't bore you with all my random details for the movie because I know you will tear it up. Thank you. I love the outrageousness of this movie. I mean, it was total '80s things now that you could never get away with. But now. Uh, with now, but so iconic, I can't even think of anyone who hasn't seen it. The things in Billie Jean are way more you couldn't get away with than the crap in this movie. I'm going to flat out say that now, girl. I totally love how he talks to the camera. It made you feel like you got the inside scoop on the movie. It was hilarious to see Heather Graham before she went in a total different direction with her career. I love Carol Kane. She always makes you laugh with her crazy hair and lisp. It was Michael Mancieri's first role. He was funny. P.S. I loved him as Wyatt in the Weird Science TV show. So hopefully you guys don't get mad at me what I had to say about him in this movie. However, 
I did say he did awesome at the end, so you know he did redeem himself. I love. I know you'll hit the few songs from the soundtrack. I love "Drive My Car" by The Breakfast Club. How ironic! Nothing says '80s movie like Billy Ocean's "Get Out of My Dreams." Get into my car. Looking forward to the fun review. Take care, Lisa the Legend. Well, thank you, Lisa, so much for writing in a license to drive. It's true. This soundtrack is pretty awesome. Of course, I mean, my favorite song, of course, would be, you know, Get Out of My Dreams. But we have Drive My Car, Breakfast Club, which starts off the movie. I believe they play it one more time. And then we have uh, Sweet Surrender by Brenda Starr. We have uh, I Feel Free by Belinda Carlisle. Um, Crucial by New Edition, uh, Jazzy's in the House, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, Mercedes Boy uh, by Pebbles. That's m- my wife plays that song all the time. I'm like, what song is this? And she goes, oh, well, this is from um, License to Drive. And then Pebbles is actually uh, one of the moms in Pretty Little Liars now. So good times. So our next email and final email comes from America's co-host, Jameson. He wrote in. So thank you, sir. It's good to have you in email fashion. Hello, Mr. Masunis. Word on the street is that you're doing License to Drive this week, so I figured I'd throw my two cents your way. Growing up, I loved the quote-unquote Two Corys movies. They were just a, they were just a certain magic in their pairing, a chemistry that's hard to duplicate. You could always tell that they're having fun. For me, License to Drive is the best example of that. When you talk about two Corey movies, this is my favorite. Way to go, sir. Sure, I like Lost Boys more, but that was more based on the ensemble cast. License to Drive is where they really shine. Hames' nervous energy plays perfectly against Feldman's cocky know-it-all personality. I was always more partial to Haim when it came to acting ability, but Feldman always uh, instigated the hijinks that made these movies memorable, which I agree 100% with you, sir. And of course, Lisa, she feels the same way. I absolutely love the night of insanity these teens find themselves in. It's classic 80s premise. Who can't and and who can argue a young Heather Graham joining in on the fun? And James Avery is hilarious as the DMV instructor. There's also so many scenes that crack me up in this film, but Corey Haim's line says it all. An innocent girl, a harmless drive. What could possibly go wrong? I look forward to our next review. I'll end this so you can get to watch Raiders of the Lost Star. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Much love to the STL Nation. Very good. America's co-host, Jameson. Well, thank you, sir. It was so awesome to hear from you, sir. Hopefully, we can get together and uh, do that Indiana Jones, man. I know it's going to be kind of rough, man, with our schedules, but we'll figure it out, sir. We always do, uh, even in the winter time where we had to take like that three-month hiatus with CCP. We'll figure it out, sir. I'm looking forward to it. But uh, that is it for emails. So if you want to write in, please do so. At uh, stlpodcast at gmail.com or sweepdelaypodcast at yahoo.com and email me your thoughts on License to Drive or next week's movie, which is Blade. So uh, why don't we go ahead and get into the music spotlight. All right, guys, it's Music Spotlight time. I got a really special treat for you on this one. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a background uh, on how uh, I ended up picking this song. So here's the deal. Um, I have, of course, Pandora Radio 
Um, it's a free app, and it's sometimes fun to listen to because you know you get to hear new people that you never really heard before. Now, uh, I'm a big fan of Comedy Central's uh, The Roast. You know where they roast celebrities, you know, so on and so forth. The last one was James Franco. It really wasn't that good. But I'm a big fan of Lisa Lampanelli, the queen of mean. So I don't know why. I just dig her. She's funny. So on Pandora Radio, I put in a channel to listen to Lisa Lampanelli. Now, hear me. I'm getting to the song, but I got I to gotta set up the story first. So when you listen to Lisa Lampanelli, they go ahead and play different people. One of the people they played was Christopher Titus. And I found this guy to be absolutely hilarious. I love what this guy had to say. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, I put a post in the STL Nation of, give me some podcasts that you like to listen to because I want to hear some new ones. One of the podcasts mentioned was from Lisa the Legend, the Christopher Titus podcast, which is very crazy. It's very, uh, you know, it's, it's really hard to explain, but it's very funny. It's just like his comedy act, but with a bunch of different people and uh, it's very, very funny. He has a lot of crazy things to say. Now, listening to this podcast, uh, he had a special guest on. He normally doesn't have a special guest, but one of the special guests he had on was Everlast. Now, Everlast may sound familiar to you because if you were back in the day and you heard the song, Jump Around, Jump Around, Jump Up, Jump Up and Get Down, House of Pain. Everlast was the lead singer of House of Pain. Now, Everlast went ahead, dropped out of the music scene, came back, and blew people up with his uh, solo CD. Now, he was on the Christopher Titus podcast, and this is how I heard this song. He went ahead and remade House of, uh, not House of Pain, but redid Jump Around acoustic style. That's right. He took an acoustic guitar, and he remade Jump Around. This song is insane how he remade this song. So this is what I was talking about in my post about how you're going to hear a classic song remade by an artist. So this song is amazing. And uh, of course, there I, I believe there's like a swear word in here. I can't remember, but I'm pretty much going to leave it the way it is. So hopefully everybody's good with that. But here you go. It's not bad. It's not like he says the F word or anything like that. But this is the uh, the acoustic version of Everlast singing Jump Around. It's amazing. It's good times. So there you go. That's the music spotlight for tonight. And overall, that is it for the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun talking License to Drive. It's going to be kind of cool. You know, it's been a kind of while. It's been kind of a while since I had some solo reviews. And uh, I'm not saying I don't want Jameson on, but I'm just saying it'll be kind of cool because pulling the current back a little bit when i do solo reviews i can record edit and post the same day versus when i record with somebody i record and then i can't edit for like two days later because i have to re-listen to everything that i just talked about versus when i'm recording i can edit while i record so it's a much faster process then i gotta piece it together and all this and that so it's just like when i have jameson on that's why it takes me two additional days to actually post the episode because the editing takes longer so i'm looking forward to the next few episodes being solo getting it out it's gonna be good times so the next episode will be the beginning of the Blade Trilogy. It's going to be a perfect segue into our Halloween series. So next episode is Blade 1. The following week will be Blade 2. And then closing out with Blade Trinity. And then we'll start up the Halloween series starting off with Silver Bullet. Then Child's Play. 
then Scream, and then we will vote on the last two movies for the Halloween marathon. It's going to be good, fun times. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, remember, if you want to write in, I just gave you the email address. Don't forget to go to Facebook and join the STL Nation. I'm going to tell you this right now. Going forward, all future votes are only going to be done in the STL Nation group. So if you want to vote for the next movies coming out in the near future, you can only do that in the STL Nation group. I will go ahead and post it on the main Facebook page what the two movies are that we're currently voting. However, if you want to vote, you're going to have to do it in there because, number one, that's the only place that I can have a tally of a vote is in the group because of that functionality is still there. And number two, it's for the hardcore fans, and it's a way to reward them, to give them what they want to hear. So going forward, all future votes are going to be strictly in the STL Nation group. So if you want to be a part of that, just type in the STL Nation in Facebook. You'll see a closed group, but you'll know that it's STL Nation because you'll see the logo. You'll, I mean, you'll see Sweep Delay Podcast. You know that's it. Go ahead and request. If you look like a spammer, like you're only in groups and you have like no friends, I'm not going to accept you. you got to be a legitimate person. I've been getting some spammers lately. I don't dig that. I delete you. So make sure you're a real person before you try to be part of the exclusive group. So there you go. That's what I got to say. So um, I'm excited to have done this episode, got it out of the way, out of the can, and now moving forward to the Halloween series. It's going to be good times. I may even do two episodes back-to-back. Who knows? But either way, we're going to get through this Blade series pretty quick. So the first week of October, we can start off with Silver Bullet. So thank you guys so much. I will catch you on the next episode next week. So make sure you write in for that. And you guys have a good one. You guys take care. Misunas out. Whole feeling funky, amps in the trunk, and got more rhymes than this cops at a donkey. Donut shop, sure enough, I got pop from the kids on the hill, plus my mom and my pop. I came to get down, came to get down, so get out your seat, everybody. Jump around, everybody, jump around, everybody, jump around. Still smack that hoe. Word to your mom, I came to drop bomb. Got more rhyme than the Bible got some. Just like the prodigal son, I've returned. Anyone stepping to me, they getting burned. See, cause I got lyrics, but you ain't got none. If you come to battle, bring a shotgun. If you do, you're a fool, cause you know I do to the death. Step to me and take your last breath. I got the skill, come get your fill. When I shoot the gift, I shoot the kill. Came to get down, came to get down. Get down, Joseph.
to the top. I never eat a pig less a big as a cop. Better yet a Terminator, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Trying to play me out like as if my name was Sega. But I ain't going now. Like no punk bitch, get used to one style. I might switch it up, pop around, buck, buck, get down, put out your head, then you wake up in the dawn of the dead. Coming to get ya, coming to get ya, spitting out lyrics, homie, I'll wet ya. I came to get down, came to get down, so get out your seat, everybody, jump around, everybody jump around. 